Hi, Double Shifters. Just a heads up that we're going to be talking more about mental health in this episode, including therapy, medication, and self-medication. And some listeners will be sharing their mental health struggles during the pandemic. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Allie. Hi, my name is Rachel, and I am the mother of a two-year-old. Hi, Catherine and Angela. My name is Allison. Hey, amazing Double Shift team. You had put the call out asking about our mental health during the pandemic, and I wanted to send a response. I started therapy for the first time in September of 2020, as a direct response to the pressures that the pandemic put on my personal and professional life. There seem to be these pandemic walls that I hit and they come at different times. And every time I hit one, I think, oh, this is, this is the hardest it has felt. And then I hit another one and it's harder. And some of that came after my second kid was born and then I wasn't able to cope in any of the ways I had known about before because of the pandemic. And I decided with renewed dedication that I was going to find a therapist. And here I am probably four months after I made that decision. And I still don't have a therapist because no one's taking new clients because it's a pandemic and everyone's having mental health crises. The stresses of parenting a toddler while trying to work has meant that all of my old coping mechanisms no longer work. I'll sit down to do a task, forget what I was supposed to be doing, spend two hours bouncing from one unfinished thing to another, and then when I finally remember what it was I was supposed to be doing, it'll take five times as long because my brain just feels like this big cluttered junkyard. I had to go back on my medication for my anxiety depression that I had not been on for probably two or three years. I had been doing just fine. And when I came home from work and started working from home in March, and I was just so stressed out and it just got to be too much trying to, you know, learn to work from home and then having my three-year-old here. And it was just a lot. So I couldn't handle it. (laughs) I did not do well. A lot of panic attacks every day. So I had to message my provider and say, hey, you know, that medication I stopped two years ago. Can you write me another prescription for that? Because I can't get through my day or get any of my work done or parent my kid. There have been many moments where I felt like I'm the only one who doesn't get to fall apart, that I have to hold it together because there are so many other people I'm holding right now. So I appreciate the invitation to not hold it together that I heard in that question and to not pretend we're holding it together and to just like declare loudly and um, unashamedly that we're not fine. This is The Double Shift, the show that challenges the status quo of motherhood And I'm your host, Catherine Goldstein. And I'm your co-host, Angela Garbez. Thank you, listeners, for sharing some of your stories in response to our call-out in March. I've really been sitting with some of your responses. And today, we're going to hear from a mental health professional about finding some solid ground. And perhaps even the support to start to heal and maybe, maybe even thrive. Mm. Come, yes, right. 
coming out of the chaos of the pandemic. So we asked all of you to share a little bit more about your mental health because we feel like there's still so much secrecy and shame. Yes. Especially for moms and for women of color and for people who have a hard time accessing mental health services. And Catherine and I both feel like storytelling is an important first step to start to crack open and break down some of these stigmas. And really also to start to have some honest conversations about this stuff. Um, Last time, Angela, you and I shared a bit about our own mental health journeys. Oh, yes. Yes, we did. (laughs) Um, And I'm glad we did it because I'm realizing more and more that we really need to name and honor these experiences and emotions for what they are. Yeah, totally. And this ties to some of my longtime favorite topics because I think we are so much more comfortable as moms in America talking about the experiences of feeling guilt or feeling like a failure or feeling shame, feeling overwhelmed. These sort of cliches of what we think are okay to say about motherhood, like it's time to talk about some tougher stuff that could be underneath some of this guilt and shame and these feelings that we hear about more often. Because sometimes underneath that is depression or anxiety or low self-esteem. Totally. And I think that, you know, there are people and there are parents and there are mothers who have always struggled with this. Yeah. I think in the pandemic, what we're seeing is without that sort of support, whether that's social or governmental, right, there's so many more of us struggling with that. Yeah. And I think it's really time for, I don't think the conversation should have been hidden in the first place, but it's it's affecting more people now and we need to be having it more openly and publicly. Completely. And also, this isn't just our intuition that this is a big deal. So the Kaiser Family Foundation found that nearly 60% of mothers reported that the pandemic has affected their mental health. And we found another study from Maven that said moms were 28% more likely to report burnout than dads. I love it. Let's back this up with facts. Like, this isn't just a feeling we're having. Yes. Uh, this stuff is really widespread. Yeah. I actually thought those stats seemed kind of low to me. I mean, I don't know what you <laughs> thought, Angela, but from my anecdotal research, I feel like these numbers are like t- 97%. <laughs> you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think also people, you know, people have different responses and all, obviously, like, all data is, none of it is perfect. It's all sort of an interpretation. But, um yeah, I mean, within my own circle and anecdotally, I would I would say those numbers seem low, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bottom line, this is very, very real. And there probably needs to be even more research into it. <laughs> yes. Before our guest introduces herself, we really want to emphasize that this conversation is in no way a substitute for professional advice. And this is not intended to help diagnose any condition— So if you think you might need help, please reach out to a mental health professional. We have resources in the show notes. Hello, my name is Dr. Amber Thornton. I'm a clinical psychologist and a motherhood wellness consultant. I live in D.C. And at the time that we're recording this, I have a 22-month-old son and I am 38 weeks pregnant with a baby girl. So Dr. Amber Thornton clearly has a lot going on. We are so thankful she made the time for us. And just to clarify, Dr. Amber has a day job as a psychologist, but she also has a side business where she does one-on-one coaching and group programs for moms. The difference, according to Dr. Amber, is that therapy is for diagnosing and treating mental health conditions, 
whereas her coaching is more like help with life skills. Let's dive right into our conversation with her. Something that we've been hearing from listeners is how, you know, people know that they need help, but they're actually struggling to access some of that mental health support during this time. You know, things from, you know, providers are full and there's a very long wait list or the costs are really high or it feels really overwhelming right now on top of everything to do the research to find a good provider. And I wondered if you could talk about, you know, some of the ways that people could begin addressing getting the mental health care that they need, even if they feel like there are some big barriers in their way. Yeah, it can feel really hard to wait for those services. And I know that it can feel very frustrating to feel like you're in a position where you need it now, but it might not come for a few months out. And so what I I try to encourage people to do is in the meantime, one, remind yourself that you're on the path of getting that therapy, getting that that help. And and that is so good. And we want to keep that in the forefront that, hey, you took the first step. You're on the way to getting the help that you need. And so in the meantime, what are some things that we can think about that you can do to help minimize some of the distress that you're feeling? So, for example, are there ways that we can get you to um, move your body every Mm -hmm. day for a few minutes? Are there ways that we can make sure that you're staying hydrated? Because we know if our body doesn't feel good, if our body doesn't have what we need, then our mental and emotional health is also going to be compromised. Is there a way that we can get you to check in with family and friends, even if it's virtually every now and then so that you don't feel so isolated? Because if you can tackle those things prior to getting to your therapy's office, Then you can start working on the deeper things with your provider because you've already handled all of the basic things that your provider is going to ask you to do anyway. I think that is such a great answer because I think when you feel like you're really needing support and it's not immediately forthcoming, it could feel hopeless. And I definitely have gotten a sense of hopelessness from, you know, listeners and our community. So I think that those are really awesome ways to think about it and, and knowing that Drinking more water is not going to solve a mental health problem, Mm -mm. but certainly thinking about what are the concrete things you can start to do is really important. Absolutely. So so, um, we spoke, a guest we had on earlier this year, Jenna, she couldn't access the meds that she needed during this time because she had lost income and she couldn't afford to pay for the trip to the doctor and she couldn't afford more expensive medication. And we've heard a lot from listeners about that their mental health issues, some diagnosed or some undiagnosed, have just gotten a lot worse. And so we've been hearing from people about people restarting or upping medication, restarting therapy. What would you say to people who feel like things that like felt under control in the before times are just no longer under control? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would remind them that, hey, this last year or so, has been terrible. Um, And so, (laughs) you know, I I was, I didn't have a better way to say it, but it's true. You know, this has been a really shitty year for a lot of us. This doesn't mean that there's a failure on your part. You didn't do anything wrong. You actually tried your best and the world kind of threw us a curveball here. And so really wanting to normalize that and really ask people to give themselves a little bit more grace because it is really hard to manage your mental health, period. But then also doing so in the midst of a pandemic with all the other things that come with the pandemic can feel really impossible. And so I, I really just want to normalize that, that it uh, it makes sense. It really does make sense that someone might be 
getting back on track or restarting or has fallen off because our circumstances just have not allowed for us to be consistent with a lot of things, especially when it comes to our care. Thank you. I really appreciate the honesty of that. It is, the year has been terrible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it has. No, I think that's, I mean, as you were talking, I was like, I'm going to remember this for myself in moments that I need to just hear this in mm-hmm. my own mind. I mm-hmm. want to talk about, you know, I think that uh, it's great that more people are thinking about their mental health and prioritizing it. But I also think, and I think this is changing, but I want to get your perspective on you know, I, th- I do think that mental health, there's still a stigma around mental health um, and needing therapy or needing medication. And I wondered, you know, how pervasive do you think that stigma is? And is there more of a stigma for mothers? And also, what do you see in terms of for mothers of color? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think the stigma is still so pervasive, especially within the motherhood space, especially for mothers of color, because the first thing that came to my mind actually is a mom who participated in our retreat last month. And she's very vocal about her mental health, having a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and anxiety. And she was just so honest and transparent with us about how it all, it constantly makes her feel like she doesn't have what it takes to be a mother. And so I think that there's this belief that if you have a mental health condition, you are not well equipped to care for children. People assume that you might become dangerous in some way to your children. People assume that you might eventually neglect your children. People assume that if you can't take care of yourself, how can you take care of someone else? Just all of those misconceptions and those myths are really prominent for mothers with mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. And I think even more so within communities of color, because there's already this really heightened stigma of mental health. There's still a lot of fear about what it means to have a mental health condition or to even talk to a therapist or a clinician. But then also, I think sometimes within communities of color, there is a really high bar in terms of what it means to be a mother. Mm -hmm. And so if there's anything that might interfere with your ability to care for your children 100% at all times, then something's wrong with you. And so absolutely, I actually don't think we talk about that enough, mental health for mothers and specifically mothers who do have diagnosed mental health conditions, but they're out there and they're doing a great job. They're taking care of their children. They're still working their jobs. But of course, they have a lot on their plate because they also have to really manage their care as well. So huge stigma for sure. Yeah. And I like, you know, I want to think about it in terms of, you know, mothers who have mental health conditions. They're actually, it's not a weakness. Can we see it as, you know, they're actually very high functioning, right? To be able to handle a diagnosis as well as their life, right? Like there's, there's more that you're there asked to do in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think we can do to overcome that, right? To sort of change the way we think about that? I think we need to hear more stories. I think we need to hear personal accounts of mothers with mental health conditions and what their lives are like, what it looks like from day to day, how they raise their children. I think we need to hear those stories and to have more exposure to that so that we can start to break down all of our misconceptions and myths and preconceived notions about it. I think there's just so much invisibility around it that we just assume that it's either it doesn't exist or it's a bad thing. And that's not true. So one of my personal obsessions that I think so many families should consider is co-housing. 
Our episode, Don't Call Me Mom, Call Me Ted, was set in a co-housing community, and we've also talked about it in other episodes. With its common spaces and strong community, it offers kids freedom and independence to roam and connect with nature that is honestly hard to find these days, all with loving neighbors invested in your kids' lives. Right now, there's an opportunity to actually get in on a great community that's about to start construction. Co-housing ABQ owns four acres of land along the beautiful Rio Grande, just minutes from downtown Albuquerque. The community already has 12 kids and many aunties and grandparents, and they've supported one another through COVID and before, creating a culture of trust, fun, and care. All they need to be complete is you. Go to cohousingabq.org slash the double shift to check out their website and sign up for an info session. Honestly, browsing this website, this place looks really dreamy, and I'm not going to lie, it kind of makes me want to pick up and move to Albuquerque. So go check it out and learn more about how Cohousing ABQ can become your village. That's cohousingabq.org slash the double shift. It's also linked in our show notes. Hey, Double Shifters, it's Catherine. I am so glad you're enjoying our rich back catalog of episodes. And as you may know, we aren't putting out new episodes right now, but we're doing some really cool work we want you to know about. And we'd like to stay in touch with you. Please sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is full of great storytelling and ideas about the forces that shape family life in America. To sign up, go to thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter. Also, we have a robust member community that's full of amazing moms from all over the world with Zoom hangouts on super interesting topics like creativity and challenging the status quo at work. We are building more and more ways for you all to get to know and support each other. That's just so important right now. We're also planning some great member benefits like audio newsletters. So if you particularly like connecting with us through listening, it's a great way to keep double shift thinking in your ears and in your life. Also, we are a scrappy small business and your support helps us do what we do. Thoughtful journalism that tells important stories and challenges the status quo of motherhood and beyond. To become a member, go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. So remember, sign up for our free newsletter so we can stay in touch with you. It's thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter. And consider becoming a member. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. Membership starts at $5 a month. Thanks. I have really increased my level of drinking over the past year. And it's a little scary because my father died of essentially being an alcoholic. I know that it's not healthy for me to do that and that I could end up going down the same path. And I'm trying to be conscious of how much alcohol I consume every week, but it's been really hard over the past year. So another thing we have been hearing about from our community of moms, and I feel like this is like a touchy subject to even start, but I'm I'm just going to dive right in, is about self-medication. 
specifically around marijuana and alcohol. And can I like just open in a, like a non-judgmental question asking way, what kind of questions should people be asking themselves mm-hmm. about their relationships to these sorts of, you know, non-controlled substances? Yes, that's a great way to put that. What what type of questions should they be asking about the relationship? Because um, so as a clinician, what I want to say is that there's nothing wrong with smoking marijuana. Well, this is my personal belief. Of course, someone else might think differently. Um, there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. But of course, if we realize that is interfering with our ability to function, if it's interfering with our ability to raise our children, if it's interfering with our ability to be present with our families and on our jobs, then there might be a problem. So the questions that I would ask or I would encourage women and mothers to really ask themselves is, when do I feel the urge to self-medicate? What is the intention or the reason behind what I'm doing? How do I feel when I'm doing it? How do I feel right before I do it? Do I feel that the self-medication is interfering with my ability to parent or to be present with my family? Or is it interfering with my ability to work in any way at all? Are there people in my life who are concerned about my use of marijuana or alcohol? These are some questions that can kind of give you some perspective on if this is something that can just be a part of your self-care, your wellness, you know, or whether it's something that needs to be investigated a little bit further. And it might be an indication of burnout or depression or anxiety or something else more serious. That was a great answer. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say thank you. I I also really like that answer because I feel like it encourages people, as you were saying, Catherine, not to judge ourselves, but to kind of be curious about mm-hmm. ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why is this happening? Yeah. Or like, wh- wh- I think that's a nice way to approach it, right? Instead of a harsh approach to ourselves, it's being generous and being really curious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also like that you can frame it too. You know, these kinds of things can be a form of self-care or an aspect of it. One thing that I've been really curious about um, is, you know, mental health practitioners and therapists um, who are mothers and who are caring for lots of people in different ways, are, how are they doing? Are they okay? (laughs) We're worried about them. I've just been wondering about them. To be honest, I think a lot of them are having a hard time too. Yeah. it's hard. It really is. Actually, I, I have a friend, funny enough, met her on Twitter, but I feel like we're really good friends now. She's also 38 weeks pregnant and she is doing full-time therapy right now. And she has admitted that she is burnt out, so burnt mm. out. And she hadn't felt it at this capacity. One, because now we're in a pandemic, but two, she's so pregnant. And so I think that's an example of... A lot of my colleagues in the field are really struggling with just everything that the pandemic has brought, but then also the increase in demand from the people that they truly want to help, but they don't have the capacity to do in the ways that they want. So it's, it's really hard for a lot of people in the field right now. So I, I have a bunch of friends who are getting divorced 
And I have been hearing from the Double Shift community that there are a lot of marriages and partnerships, a lot of personal reevaluations that are going on. And I think because we are in this time of isolation, people feel pretty alone in it. You know, you don't have that party that you show up to without your spouse where you tell people, oh, guess what? We're not together anymore. So I think a lot of it has really been hidden. And I'm curious what you're hearing and seeing about these kinds of personal reevaluations as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting too because I have had a few moms, unfortunately, come to those conclusions as well. None that have decided to settle on divorce, but some that are getting really close to it. Um, I did have a mom who. It's funny in the beginning of the program, she actually um, was a little. I don't know how to say this, um, undermining of some of the issues that she was having in her marriage. But then towards the end and then later after checking in with her, she became very vocal about, hey, th- this is not working. I'm, I'm not being supported like I want. And I think it's just the pandemic kind of put a spotlight on so many of those issues that were already there. But now they became glaring. Just, just a, a quick little pushback for you, Dr. Amber. Mm-hmm. When, I was curious when you used the word unfortunate because I think sometimes mm-hmm. splitting from bad partnerships, I think splitting from bad partnerships is almost always like pretty fortunate. Like it's pretty, it's usually good. So I just wonder like why, like what, what, why you chose that word. And, and if there is a way for us to also think about maybe if not fitting into traditional models about how a marriage is quote unquote supposed to turn out, like how we can Mm -hmm. challenge ourselves to think about that. I'm so glad you pointed that out because I agree with you. (laughs) I think if the marriage needs to end, it needs to end. And so I actually do want to change that. It is fortunate. I think I said unfortunate because I know that there's a lot of pain that goes Mm -hmm. with that, even when it does need to end. Yeah. The pain is unfortunate, but of course it's necessary. But honestly, so like the mom that I was referring to, I was like silently cheering every time she would come to me and say, hey, this isn't working. This isn't working for me Um, because I knew that she wasn't being supported how she needed to be. You know, she she wasn't she didn't have someone being kind to her in her house. It was harmful. And so I agree with you. Absolutely. If a marriage or a partnership needs to end, it is a fortunate thing. And the feelings are going to be uncomfortable and painful, too. Double Shift. My name is Marika. I'm a mom of a four-year-old living in Portland, Oregon. Marika is a listener who had gone on Zoloft for postpartum depression when her daughter was six months old and has been on it ever since. During the pandemic, she bumped up her dosage in consultation with a counselor and her primary care doctor. Between trying to work full-time from home and parent a four-year-old and keep up with the massive amounts of laundry and dishes from three of us being home all day, I just couldn't handle it. I was having frequent crying episodes, melting down. My husband was really supportive but also frustrated with the way that my mental health issues were manifesting. So the medication seems to have helped for now. And I am hoping that once the pandemic is over, I can go back to 25 milligrams or 
get off of Zoloft completely, um, but maybe not. As my friend likes to say, if your neurotransmitters aren't working, store-bought is fine. So much of this year has been like, or this year plus, because let's be, mm-hmm. this is more than a year now. We're in the year plus plus here yeah. zone. Has been, I mean, either a slow boil or a constant boil in terms of the pressures and the difficulties. And it can be really hard to separate actual mental health needs from you know, legitimate reactions to terrible circumstances. As you mentioned, this has been just a terrible time. And I definitely have struggled with this myself as I was confronting my own postpartum depression. So what are the ways that moms can self-identify that they are not okay and may need therapy or medication versus that this is a, a healthy reaction to a terrible circumstance? Yeah, it can be really hard to decipher between the two. And that's where working with a professional can come in handy. But what I would say to a mom or a woman who is trying to decipher whether I'm experiencing a clinical mental health condition versus a reaction to something that has potentially been traumatizing or really distressing is to really think about the thing that has just happened. For example, if we're in a pandemic or if there's a death of a loved one or you lose a job, think about that thing and then think about how you would expect your closest loved one to respond. And I say that because I think sometimes we give other people a little bit more grace than ourselves. So, for instance, I think some people would assume, you know, oh, this thing happened to me, but I should be able to bounce back. I should be able to know that, you know, things just happen. But if I ask you to, well, Think about how your mom or your daughter might respond. We would have more compassion and we would say, well, of course she would be devastated. Of course she would be having a hard time. So think about that first. What just happened? How would your closest loved one react? But then also the next step, and this is the really the indicator to help us figure it out, is this reaction now interfering with your ability to function? And that is, you know, always the, the, the go-to phrase in the mental health field, interfering with your ability to function. So are you able to care for yourself still? You know, sometimes when we have, for example, major depression, it's hard to take a shower. It's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to feed your kids. On the flip side, you can be very devastated about a loss, but still be able to get up and function and just not feel good. And so that sometimes is the indication. If this is interfering with my functioning in some way, that might be an indication that I have something clinically going on. And so, of course, there's this overlap because there are many very high functioning people, especially women and people of color, who just find ways to push through and plow through all of the trauma. And so there mm. are there's a subset of people who they still will have a clinical condition, even if they're looking like they're functioning. So it's very complex. And if you're feeling helpless or hopeless, that's a big indication as well, that there's something clinically that's likely going on. Because we don't want people to get to a point where they're feeling hopeless, because that then can lead to bigger things like having suicidal thoughts, feeling like you don't want to live anymore. And we don't want that. So when things like that come up, absolutely probably leaning more towards there might be something clinically going on with my mental health. I wanted to go back to something you said, and well, I want to thank you for saying it, that you talked about there's, you know, the substrata of people and like women and people of color, they just keep going no matter what. 
it just really struck me. And I, I would love to give it a little more time and attention if you could speak on that a little bit more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is all based on like our socialization in this country specifically. It could be different based on your culture, where you're living, you're growing up. But I think for Americans, um, (laughs) women, people of color, other marginalized communities, there have been a lot of pressure to prove yourself, whether it's your worth or your um, Well, yeah, I'll say your worth. Um, Prove yourself in ways that will allow you to enter certain spaces. Or, for instance, people of color, women are not often given the benefit of the doubt that we might see a white man be given. And so with that, there's this drive to continue to perform and push through because that's how you have learned to live or to make a living or to survive in this world. Um, If you cannot push through, then you cannot survive. So Mm. that is something we absolutely see, especially for Black women. There's this term, strong Black woman syndrome, (laughs) where basically Mm. it's like, you've got to be strong because if not, how are you going to get the job done? How are you going to get these things done? How are you going to take care of your family? And many times these women are suffering, but still there's Mm. no time to pause. There's no time to address it. And it's sad. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for talking some more about that. Mm-hmm. I think that's um, that's something we don't talk about enough. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And yeah, one last question. We're getting close to time here, but I was just curious, you know, now that things are like lately, I've been feeling, you know, a strange feeling of hope, like not to minimize that there are mm-hmm. still people who are getting sick, right? And people who are still mm-hmm. isolated, but, you know, things are opening back up. We're beginning to be able to see people's People are getting vaccinated. And, you know, we've been living in this sort of like high stress, you know, activated state for a year. And what if like things start to relax and things seem to be getting better, but but we're having a hard time coming out of that place mm-hmm. of fear mm-hmm. and that place of stress? Mm-hmm. What can we do mm-hmm. to sort of like to help ourselves, you know, try to get out yes. of that? Or what happens if that's how you're feeling? Yeah, I would say... It is normal after going through something traumatic to be apprehensive or hesitant about then accepting this new reality that looks a lot better. It's a it's a trauma response, for lack of a better word. The mm-hmm. pandemic was really traumatic for some of us a tiny bit, for some of us a lot. And so when we experience trauma, whether it's a small trauma or a big trauma, there's going to be some reluctance to... Um, except that things can be better. And that's just our body and our mind's way of protecting us from the thing that happened before. And so if that means that you need a little bit of time before you get back out there, even if you see your friends are getting out, that's okay. If you feel like you need a little bit more time before you do re-engage back into maybe like in-person school or childcare for your child, it's okay because many of us need that time because we are all collectively healing from this very traumatic incident that we've been through. Um, Not many people in our lifetime have experienced a pandemic and things changing overnight like that, not even to mention death and loss that we've all experienced. And so it is okay to feel a little bit of apprehension. 
If you find, again, that you are really having a hard time moving forward months and months in after things are starting to get back, that might be an indication that maybe it's time to work with a professional to help with some of those things. But give yourself the time that you need to readjust to how the world is changing again. So, Angela, what did you think of this last point about adjusting to how the world is changing? Well, I feel very grateful to Dr. Amber for pointing out that you can give yourself a little bit of time to make that adjustment. I feel like she was speaking directly to my soul when she said that, (laughs) because I feel, um, I don't know, like you just can't, the way that we've been living for the last year, how do you just bounce back from that? So, Yeah. um, yeah, so I think like giving ourselves a little bit of I think she said grace is really valuable, and I'm going to keep that in mind. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I have also been thinking about how as we try to unwind from this intense period and this hypervigilance, like, now for me, some of the, like, normal things we used to be worried about are sort of creeping back in, too, and so car accidents and health, other health problems or, you know, these sorts of things or dealing with my realities of having twin toddlers, which is terrifying. Um, <laughs> those, those things are very real too. And if we're in an activated state or our mental health is not been built up or repaired, it makes it harder to go back and deal with some of these normal, quote-unquote, normal stresses. And I have been thinking about that a lot, too. So I think that's another thing that we all have to continue to process. Yeah, I feel like we've been so tightly wound and, like, you know, cortisol levels have been high. And it's almost like, how do you physically relax from that? How do you, like, the other day I was like, maybe I like my high cortisol level. (laughs) Or I somehow have gotten used to that, right? Right. Um. And then, yeah, you're right. Like, life is still there. All the same problems are still there, and we have to figure out how to deal with them. Thank you so much for your wisdom, Dr. Amber. I'm sure, Double Shifters, you will be happy to know that her baby girl, Eden, was born on April 16th, and both Dr. Amber and Eden are doing well. You can learn more about Dr. Amber's coaching practice. It's called Balanced Working Mama, and she has her own podcast, too. Check out the links in our show notes. And again, if you have concerns about your own mental health, please reach out to a mental health professional. We are linking to additional resources in the show notes. And we want to take a moment to thank all the listeners who wrote in or sent us voice memos about their stories. We are so grateful to hear from you and to share your voices with our Double Shift community. And to know that this community is really making a difference for people. I just wanted to make a recording to send to you guys. I love the show. I love hearing the stories. And I love hearing people going through the same things I have been. And just being able to commiserate. Even if I don't talk to any of these people, it's just nice to know that um, other people have struggled with the same thing. So keep up the good work, ladies. Thanks. Bye. We have so enjoyed hearing from listeners and getting to know you all more. And over the summer, we want to hang out. Please say you want to hang out with us. Please. (laughs) (laughs) 
We are going to be doing some monthly Zooms for our members of the Double Shift. They're going to be informal, fun, and a way for us to all just get to know each other a little bit better. I am amped about this. We have some amazing members in our community. We'll send members emails with more details. And in the meantime, if you want to become a member of the Double Shift, we want you. We want you to be in our club. Yes. Yes. So go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. It starts at $5 a month and you get weekly episodes and an ad-free show. And if you can pay yearly, that helps us even more. If you become a member at $10 or $25 a month, we'll donate a membership to a listener who wants it and can't afford it right now. And if you would like one of those donated memberships, email us at askthedoubleshift at gmail.com. And we'll hook you up because we don't want to leave anyone out. The Double Shift is created and hosted by me, Katherine Goldstein. Our co-host is Angela Garbez. Our senior producer is Rachel McCarthy. We are also produced by Asal Asanifor. Our editor is Anita Rao. Our research assistant is Jada Hester. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme song is by Palehound. Our mixer is Corey Schreppel. We are funded in part by the generous support of the Ford Foundation. And you, our members. We can't do this without you. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join to become a member. We are independently produced and distributed. Thanks for being part of The Double Shift. <laughs>